Herein I am deeply outraged that my entire life is being interpreted as a long struggle to be recognized by some damn fool art critics or to be sold successfully in the galleries or even to find their way into art museums because I consider these institutions corrupt in their purpose and their meaning and their effect on the artist and society. This record has been dictated by me, Clifford Still, in my house in New Windsor, Maryland, on the date January 29 and 30th in the year 1971. Welcome to Chapter 4 of A Daughter's Voice. I'm Sarah Wombold. Sandra lived with Clifford and Patty on and off in the later years of their lives, helping them to inventory the paintings and with various other dealings related to Clifford's work. She recalled for me the only time she ever asked her father about his imagery. She was in her mid-30s at the time. When I asked him where the images came from, he would not tell me. He had one moment he described as a quantum leap, and he knew what he was doing. He did it. He stood back and realized, where did that come from? And he had to go back and work his way to it. And to Dad, none of this was ever abstract. It was inevitable. The next painting was inevitable out of the other, out of the other. And it was inevitability that it would go, quote, abstract. Some of the greatest moments humans will have are sometime abstract, so to speak. How do you define joy? A word doesn't do it. You have to have experienced it. He died of colon cancer. He went through six months of hell. One of the doctors said, Mr. Still, you should start painting again, you know, do drawings. It'll heal you. And he said, I don't use my painting to heal for me. It is not an exercise like this. This is life, and I'm not at my best right now. I cannot put my best on canvas. So his last canvas was in August of 79. The last couple of days were really grim. He started to bleed, hemorrhage somewhere. They took him in an ambulance, took him to the hospital in, in Westminster. They passed him off immediately to Mount Sinai he would need another surgery. <clears throat> we drove across Green Valley that's all horse country, up and down beautiful hills of Maryland. It was the most exquisitely beautiful spring morning. Biggest sun rising, an orange-red sun rose in a mist. It was just spectacularly beautiful, painfully beautiful. It was just a matter of time. They took him in for a surgery and they found that he had a bleeding ulcer. Uh, the last day, they tied him down and that was very disturbing. It was to protect him. It was very difficult. They said, well, he wanted to get up. And I said, yes, but you're dealing with a man who wants to die on his feet. He had this whole image and admiration for a horse. He and his father, they had a horse that died and it propped himself and stalled it and died on his feet. And that image had always been with him. And I had, uh, Dad kept saying, I got up to him close, Dad, you're okay? 
turn it off, turn it off, no machines. I said, no, you're, no, we know what you want. You're, it is not a machine. What they're doing is they're giving you your last transfusion. They have to because of the surgery. And he, ju- he didn't even look at me. He just said, and it's really hard to deal with, he just said, dead, dead. He just said that one word, and I, I just, I, I just said, yes. They will not do any more. We're here. Let it go. Last will and testament, paragraph fourth. I give and bequeath all the remaining works of art executed by me in my collection to an American city that will agree to build or assign and maintain permanent quarters exclusively for these works of art and assure their physical survival with the explicit requirement that none of these works of art will be sold, given, or exchanged, but are to be retained in the place described above, exclusively assigned to them in perpetuity for exhibition and study. He came out of the flats of Alberta and Spokane, Washington. He was back and forth for education and things like that in the winters. But he created these paintings of the 70s especially if he'd grown up in the city. And I don't think so. And what Dad did, what Clifford still did, was he expanded the visual vocabulary of the artist by going out and beyond the edges, not framing them. You're not looking through window anymore, you're entering that world. When I go into the rooms now, I feel like I'm entering that man's world and warmth and best and biggest gift that he could ever give. So you, you made a gesture there with your arms. Is that a hug? Kind of hug, I don't want to diminish it, but kind of. It's, it's better than the hug. <laughs> it's better than the hug because I can't hang on to it. I can't go back, but I can here. When I walk into a room now, I feel like I'm surrounded by him because that is him. And it's warm and it's generous and it's uplifting. The world should be a better place when you leave it. That was important to him leave the world in a better place, leave society in a better place, have ethics, know who you are, what you are, always goes back to that. And he chose to do it visually. I am not seeking immortality. I am simply reminding those who hear me or see the work that truth should be of paramount importance. That's the end of our podcast. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to our composer, Tim Cameron, our motion graphics designer, Betty Cameron, 
filmmaker Dennis Scholl for sharing some of his footage with us, and to consulting producer Josh Madison, who hosts the podcast Denver Orbit. Check it out if you haven't already. Our website is cliffordstillmuseum.org, where you can find loads of other information about the art, the museum, our events, and of course, Clifford Still. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please find us on social media and let us know.